Good evening and welcome to this episode of the Mary Trump Show. I am so excited to have back as my guest the great Malcolm Nance, who is a former naval intelligence officer, among many other things, uh, many of which we'll talk about. In 2016, October 2016, he also published his book, The Plot to Hack America, which was so hard-hitting and accurate that it absolutely should have had an impact on the presidential election of 2016, but for the fact that uh, people were far too concerned about one candidate's fucking emails. Uh, so that was sort of problematic. Uh, Malcolm is just back from the fight in Ukraine. Uh, we are lucky to have him here as he's on a brief hiatus. And currently, he is the New York Times bestselling author of... They want to kill Americans. Malcolm, it is so great to have you home and safe. How are you? Well, it's my pleasure to be back. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a little different than where I just came from. But it's time to talk about protecting American democracy now. Yeah, because as you've made very, very clear uh, recently, the success or failure of American democracy is directly linked to the success or f failure of the uh, Putin's illegal invasion of Ukraine and democracy everywhere, right? Absolutely. And the way I view Ukraine now, a nation that's had nine presidential elections, uh, that has a very free uh, political environment, has a free legal environment, has a free freedom of speech environment. And this is what bowls people over when they go to a, a city like Kiev or uh, Lviv or some of the other major cities in Ukraine, just how Western right. these countries are. You know, it's not Eastern, you know, drab Eastern Russian concrete block. These are beautiful uh, countries. It's a beautiful country with a vibrant culture. Uh, I, I, I studied Russian early on in my career. It's coming back because I'm mainly in Eastern Ukraine where people speak Russian. But the Ukrainian language, you know, it's its, its own unique language. Um, it's the equivalent of Portuguese versus Spanish, right. um, you know, and you, you might understand the outlines of what they're saying, but you have to learn the language. This is what Vladimir Putin has decided he wants to eliminate. And this is his words, right? Ukrainian culture shouldn't exist. Ukrainian people shouldn't exist as, a, as an independent nation. Uh, the leadership shouldn't exist. Uh, but for the most part, it has nothing to do, nothing to do with them wanting to join NATO nothing to do with them wanting to join the West. It's mainly because a liberal democracy on their borders, they just could not tolerate it. Just could not tolerate that. Yeah, and, and Malcolm, Putin has used a lot of the same kinds of vilification that the right in this country is using, calling the Ukraine or calling his mission in Ukraine a denazification, which is both Sick. a lie and projection. It right. seems to me. Uh, yeah, there's a lot. Of yeah. Um, so to tell, I want to I want to pivot briefly to um, other events uh, that are going on here and your book, of course. But tell us a little bit about conditions on the ground over there, because I think as we've seen and this is true historically in America, people forget they forget what's going on 
elsewhere in the world, even if it is, is going to have a direct impact on the future of this country. And the, the media seem to tire of covering what's happening in other countries. Um, so I think, I think we really need to remind Americans that the fight is far from over. It is far from decided. And Americans really do need to engage, because, if for no other reason, again, that this will have an impact on what happens here as well. Well, you're absolutely right about that. This is not, um, you know, a, a foreign policy folly where we just decided to go and help out. This is existential for Ukraine, but it's also existential for Western democracy. And it's not just its expansion, it's existence. You know, when I wrote a book uh, a couple of years ago called The Plot to Destroy Democracy, how Putin and his spies were undermining uh, America and uh, dismantling the West, little did I know that this was a very large-scale project to advance autocracy around the world. Donald Trump was part of that advancement of the what I call the axis of autocrats. Marine Le Pen in France, the Golden Dawn in, Ger in, in Greece, five-star Italian uh, movement in Italy, the OFD in Austria, the AFD in Germany, uh, Viktor Orban and his party in Hungary. United Russia Party was funding all of these right-wing extremist groups, many of whom had origins in Nazi Germany. I mean, OFD in Austria was started by the two SS officers at the end of World War II, and United Russia got the president in power by directly funding him. Same with Marine Le Pen in France. He gave her 37 million euros to knock down Western democracy, to remove France from NATO. Now we see him invade his neighboring country, and it's not about NATO again. It's about him, Russia, Vladimir Putin, controlling 25% of the flower in this world, all right? by going down and saying that creating a new iron curtain behind Belarus, uh, you know, their, their space in Kaliningrad, and then a Western wall in, in a, in a Russified Ukraine that would block off democracy and start again a march of autocracy. The invasion of Ukraine has made it very clear to the world what the objective is. Now, this is interesting. A good part of the third world are siding with Putin because Russia is throwing around oil, throwing around money, throwing around promises to African dictators, like in Mali, where they're actually signing up mercenaries to come fight in Ukraine. Mali, you know, of all places, uh, you know, Brazil uh, and other other nations in order to, to say the West and their their democracy is failed. Only rich men, oligarchs, autocrats, dictators can actually control the modern world the way that money is moving around the world. And people who are poor of mind and who are like Donald Trump supporters all think that they're just millionaires who are down on their luck, right? Block to that horrible story and are willing to abandon American democracy as well as abandon democracies around the world. Yeah. And and I think we've seen and you connect a lot of these dots in your books that this is not a new phenomenon. Uh, this is what happens on a global scale when you fail to hold corrupt, dangerous leaders like Putin accountable. And, 
you know, Ukraine is just uh, another domino that could potentially fall, um, propping up Putin's agenda, which, again, was allowed to continue during the four disastrous years of the Trump administration. And here we are without anybody yet here uh, in power being held accountable for um one, for aiding and abetting autocrats around the world, but two, more importantly for our purposes, trying to overthrow our own fucking government. <laughs> so uh, we, we mentioned before we started recording that you're staying with uh, Stephanie Miller, host of The Stephanie Miller Show. And I believe that's where I first became familiar with you years ago, because oh. you've been a frequent guest on her show uh, for a long time. And uh, she has she has a nickname for you, which I absolutely love. And it's Nostradamus. Is that it? Yeah, I, I, I keep mispronouncing <laughs> it. Nostradamus. And for those of you not familiar, Nostradamus was something uh, somebody who allegedly could see the future. But it is true, Malcolm, that you are one of the most prescient people I've ever met. And I want to start here. In uh, November of 2020, just as the results of the election were being called uh, in glaringly <laughs> in Joe Biden's favor, you warned, as the rest of us were kind of heaving a sigh of relief and dancing in the streets, that there was a political paramilitary insurgents heading our way. Uh, how would you say that's worked out for us? Well... <laughs> You know, I, I hate being right all the time. You know, I, yeah. Would you stop it? Be right about something yeah, that's going to make us really, really happy. Like glaringly <laughs> wrong. Um, you know, that was on November sixth, twenty twenty. I was on real time with Bill Maher. Right. Um, Bill, to his credit, was out doing the kumbaya thing. Now we need to talk to Trump voters. Now we need to understand what they're concerned. Really about blatant, open, outright racism. And the right to be as right. racist as you want, when you want, how you want. It's taking freedom to a to a certain level to where you should technically be free to kill your neighbors. They were talking about dominating the the political environment. And so what I saw in the lead lead up to this election was all of these disparate wings that we saw after Charlottesville, the Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers, the 3% Militias, the Neo-Confederates, the State Militias. All, they all got sort of tamped down after the, you know, there's, there's good people on both sides debate in 2018. And then by the summer of 2019 and then the summer of 2020, they came back, but you could barely see them. You know, you could barely see these individual groups because they were all melded into a new, how can I put it, a, a new, um, it, it's, it's actually hard to, 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 to understand this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get the exact words. Into a new wing of rejectionism that for every one armed militia man, there were hmm. 99 regular average Trump voters with rifles, right? So these protests that you would see would have hundreds, hundreds right. of people with rifles, right. not one, not five, not three. Good example is Kyle Rittenhouse. Kyle Rittenhouse didn't belong to a militia. Kyle Rittenhouse was just 
one of these guys who was answering the call, that men who were out to defend, you know, uh, against Antifa, against Black Lives Matter, should go get an AR-15, should go get X number of magazines, should get body armor, should get a helmet, and then should join together with their patriot friends. He wasn't there to meet friends. He was there to take part of a group action, which they decided on their own without any prompting from anyone that they were going to defend a car dealership that didn't ask for them to come, that didn't even know that these people were there. And then they sided with the police and came with weapons and the police saw them as allies, allies. And actually gave them water. Yeah, well, you know, armed, yeah, armed white men. Right. Wonder to be why. Hmm. All Could Trump supporters. Well, what happened? Two people get, he kills two people, yeah. grievously injures a third, walks up to the police to surrender, and the police blow by him. I mean, that was an indicator of how broad the Trump insurgency was becoming. It was no longer about named groups. It was about individuals, what we call in the military, MWRs, men with rifles. And now what we found was these groups were being washed away by the numbers of the average Trump voters with rifles that were coming to protest. And it culminated in the January 6th attack. We've already seen the conspiracy courts, uh, you know, the conspiracy charges for sedition against the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys. It's only a few dozen people. There were as many as 10,000 people laid siege to that building. 2,000 entered that building. But, you know, maybe 8,000 were fighting the cops outside. Malcolm, I'm, you just mentioned TITUS, and it's one of my favorite new acronyms. I wish it were DITUS uh, for obvious reasons, but it stands for Trump Insurgency in the United States. And one of the things you do so brilliantly in your new book, which, again, everybody has to read, They Want to Kill Americans, and it's important to note that the they in the title is other Americans, not Al-Qaeda, not anybody else, not ISIS. Uh, so um, you, you help people understand not just the evolution of Titus, but also the implications of Titus. And as you just said, it's the political wing, obviously Donald giving the orders, making sure they're armed, right? And then right. the more organized uh, terrorist groups, uh, the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys, who actually were working together in unison on January 6th, which as far as I understand is, is unique. That's These are not two groups that typically had worked together. Right. Basically helping... Uh, the men with rifles find their way uh, into the building and, and, and giving them, um, if not necessarily orders to follow, then a path to follow. Would that be fair to say? Exactly right. And, you know, although I've since come up with the term, these guys were pathfinders. And there was a command and control cell. And that's what the Proud Boys called themselves, a command and control cell outside the building with people who were directing other teams inside. Then the Oath Keepers were acting as pathfinders for their men and their women who were coming inside there. Same with the 3% militia. But as I outlined in the book, which the January 6th committee is just getting to this week, they coordinated extensively in December of 2020. They had meetings left and right. 
um, that they were having, you know, in, they had one at the protest of December 12th. And then after that, it was all coordination meetings about what are you going to do on January 6th? What are you going to do? You know, but they understood that for every one of them, 100, 200 average people were going to come there ready to do battle. And they were exhorting them to come to prepare to do battle. Every one of the 10,000 people that laid siege to that building knew that they were there to take that building. Okay? Donald yeah. Trump didn't have to say it with those words, but as you and Michael Cohen have famously said, you know, he uses mafia speak, right? We're yeah. going to go down there and we're going to take back our country. That's not even code, right? The only thing you could do to take back your country is to overthrow the, you know, one third, you know, the, the legislative branch of the United States government. So I watched yeah. it in real time. And I knew, you know, that these young, these people were there to really fight. And again, I, I, I often characterize this in the terms that I would use in the intelligence community. They came masked and they came camouflaged. Yeah. And the reason they got so close is because the camouflage of their white skin and the American flags that they carried, which were actually weapons, they were yeah. telling each other, don't carry poles unless they're iron." Right. So that you could. And we saw that in Charlottesville. Yep. The sticks that they were carrying were actually baseball bats and they had the American flags on it to be used as as, as hammers. Um, these people came to overthrow government. And the only people who were surprised by it was the entirety of the rest of America. Yeah. And you know what else was in code that day saying, get rid of the fucking mags and um, they're not here to hurt me. That, that right. was also pretty blatant. And there, you, you use some pretty chilling quotes in the book, which makes it very clear that the people there that day were willing to die for a cause that uh, Donald had scammed them into believing in. And what, who knows what's going to happen with these hearings? I think they've been impeccable. Uh, they've done an amazing job of laying things out. But some things are still missing. And your point is so important because I think it's the heart of everything that's wrong in this country right now. Mm -hmm. Their, their uh, permission slip to get into, the, it, into that building was their whiteness. And yes. this is all about white supremacy. And every, everybody in um, power, the, the failures of pretty much everybody in power in this country historically to recognize the fact that this is a white supremacist nation that has never once seriously tried to grapple with its white supremacy. So, you know, this wouldn't have happened but for that. Right. You're absolutely right. And again, it's another reason why everyone was neutralized that day. Why yeah. cops didn't see cops didn't see anything wrong. They saw these American flags coming up to them, Trump flags, MAGA hats. Guys shouting at them, giving high fives, carrying thin blue line, pro-police flags. And, you know, it's sort of like, you know, that, that, that meme of the uh, leopards eating your face party. Yes. And you're in favor of the leopards eating other people's faces. That's right. And, you know, the, the, it always ends up with, I didn't know they were going to eat my face. Well, in this particular instance, these people are watching this. They were thinking they're they're wild. They're, you know, they're Walmart shoppers, but they're, you know, patriotic, loving Americans. 
And that camouflage allowed them to close within close quarter combat distance. One bicycle rack barrier. That's what they put up. Bicycle rack barriers that weren't being held together by chains, that were being held together loosely by police officers. And then they got smashed right in the face, literally, in many circumstances, bear spray, pepper spray. And, you know, people knew what to do, come inherently knew what to do to take back the building. Now, how none of this was in, you know, law enforcement intelligence's hands is mind boggling. But again, they were camouflaged. If they're Trump voters, it's a Trump rally. It's going to be peaceful. If black people show up or liberals show up, it's Antifa and there's going to be violence and you need to put them down ruthlessly. Now we see now we see who the real threat to America is. It's not black men. It's white men who voted for Donald Trump. The question is, am I going to have to start treating them? Oh, by the way, Mary, you know, in the intelligence community, we try to be very hold our perspective open as much as possible. But I'm telling you right now, this book has already been written in the halls of MI6, British intelligence, DGSE, French intelligence, the BND in Germany. They've already written a report about the coming civil war in the United States with all of these elements being funded by white supremacy, being funded by billionaires, all designed to get Donald Trump back in power. Not because he's the best decision maker, because he's an avatar. He is an avatar of their white supremacy, that they will not be replaced. He manages to speak at the level of the idiot. Therefore, idiots can understand their orders and will carry those orders out. Now, I use that phrase mockingly, but he, he, this is a man who used to do WWE worldwide wrestling. And in his little wrestling pantomime, he was the rich guy who supported the evil wrestler, right? With the giant check. And then by the end of the show, the good guys would win and Donald Trump's character would pantomime that I was wrong. Here's the check. You're the good guys. That's where he learned to manipulate simple minds because he understood that for every person out there, there was a simple story. And the story is, I'm the hero. This is our country. You do the work to take it back. I will lead you. Now, those four points on the scale have no place for subtlety, no place for nuance, but a lot of places for misunderstanding, (coughs) excuse me, a lot of places to inject the other things that are left unsaid, where he constantly threatened violence against people, constantly promised that he would help people that committed violence, constantly encouraged cops to take the law into their own hands and hurt people. Those are the dot, dot, dots in the middle of open parentheses, closed parentheses, that Donald Trump relied for people to commit crimes. And this is the grievous crime of them all. I believe thoroughly to the bottom of my heart when he went back to the White House because the Secret Service forced him due to the numbers, right, that he sat there for, I think it's 187 minutes and watched what was going on. He was waiting to see if they took the building and if they got the Electoral College ballots and were setting the place on fire. 
maybe not set it on fire, but if they achieved their mission. At that point, he would have, I believe he would have ordered the Secret Service to take him to the Capitol. And he would have, the the seas would have split open for him and in twain while he walks into the building and walks down to the well of the house to have himself proclaimed Mad King Donald I and say, the people want me to be president. This proves I am the president of the United States. It would have been the first successful coup d'etat. And at that point, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff at that point, the Justice Department, the Supreme Court, everyone would have had to have decided, is this constitutional or am I now going to have to take up arms That's between right. you and me? I've never said this before. I'm going to say it on your show only because you're a psychologist and you can understand. That day I said, I'm going to go check my weapons locker. I, I, I have a bad feeling we may be going to guns here and I may have to bring my weapons to Washington, D.C. to defend the Constitution. And as soon as I said it, I go, this is the craziest thing I've said in my entire life. I didn't I didn't yeah. do it, but it was in my head now. Well, we have a civil war today. You know, and I was on Joy Reid's show that night. You know what I said? I said, Joy, what you're watching is you're watching a flood go through this Capitol. But what you need to watch out for are there sharks in this yeah. tank are there murder cells yep. groups of people tasked to go and find nancy pelosi and kill her groups of people who if they find aoc will strip her naked yep. rape her sexually assault her humiliate her and hang her i'm you know sorry that i'm using these specific examples but no, but it's true Will they will they force Mike Pence's Secret Service detail to all take out their M4s and MP7 submachine guns and shoot their way through a crowd determined to kill him? Donald Trump bought all of that on. They were all yeah. happening impossible. And you cannot tell me. I've been around crowds. I've been around insurrections and revolutions. That was in the mind of some of those people. These were the deep fantasies that they were having. That if they found Chuck Schumer, whose Secret Service team did bring out their MP7 submachine guns, right? Open, right? High ready. That's not good. That's a sign that democracy is on the verge of collapse, right? And also, did Mike Pence's, was his Secret Service team part of a conspiracy? Well, that's absolutely, the, that was the next place I want to go. But you just said hmm. so much um, that... You can stay for another four or five hours, right? Because, you know, we're just getting started. Uh, no, seriously, you know, it's fascinating. As a layperson that day, all I saw, like, the, the word that came to mind was tawdry. Because it just looked like a bunch of losers milling about with their fucking Confederate flags and smoke everywhere. It was impossible as somebody who couldn't understand how to read the patterns, what was really happening at the beginning, right? And then everything you said that day has been proven to be the case. So um, the new piece, though, that we're dealing with is, you were just about to go there, what we're learning now about the Secret Service. We already knew that for reasons uh, that kind of beggar the imagination, a Secret Service agent was allowed to take a highly political position inside the White House as Donald's dep Deputy Chief of Staff, I believe, 
I'm not sure. Mm. Tony Ornato, um, which is, I think, unprecedented. Uh, And we've known for a while now that Mike Pence, for reasons he won't tell us because he's a coward, would not go with the Secret Service. I don't know about you, Malcolm, but I'm very skeptical of the fact that it's because he thought it would look bad if he didn't stay in and let the votes be counted. And we have just found out that long after, days after January 5th, 6th, and 7th, the Secret Service, in a scheduled turnover, I don't even know what the proper term is, but they erased everything. Now, you would think, knowing that... I don't know. September, uh, January 6, 2020 was kind of an important 2021 was kind of an important event that mm-hmm. they would have postponed the scheduled uh, erasing of of text. So, you know, we started talking about paramilitary groups. This is starting to feel even more organized uh, than you uh, warned us. We have an entire agency now that is deeply suspect. This is now, now we are moving into what I would call the seven days in May scenario. And if you've ever heard about this movie from the 1960s, go watch it. Kirk Douglas. Definitely. uh, You know, and, uh, you know, um, I'm trying to think of who the the main character, some of the main characters were. But Kirk Douglas plays a Marine colonel who's a White House staffer who finds that there is actually the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff is plotting a coup d'etat using military force in the United States, created an entire military organization that was supposed to be a communications organization, but was like the Army Rangers, and their job was to seize communication centers and government buildings, you know. And, um, and you know, the, that the plot was approved of by many senators, you know, all across government. Now, here's what I want to know. I am not the kind of person to delve into that kind of speculation. But I'm seeing indicators. And in my world, indicators are everything, right? Yeah. We don't see the universe. We see the individual stars. And those stars have star clusters and they have patterns. And we know that they're a billion years old and probably dead. But, you know, we then we start fading back and start seeing is this Alpha Centauri? Is this whatever? And labeling them until you work back to a universe and go, yeah, that's a universe. But before we get to that universe phrase, we know everything between A and Z. What I see now, now this Ornato guy, he was put back into government. As he, like in, I was just going to say, he's in charge of training. Let me tell you, for the sake of this nation... If anyone's listening in the White House, Joe Biden needs to fire the top three people in him today. Yeah. Today. I have no faith in the Secret Service right now. I don't know. They're, they may have served honorably. Let them retire. Do whatever. But I don't know. Okay. But Mel- right. But, Malcolm, we also know that, that Biden had to change out the entire cadre of Secret Service agents because – of worries that they were loyal to Donald. So this isn't, this is a longstanding issue. You know, one of the things that I think that would be more fascinating than the text would be the the communications between the secret service teams and their main headquarters. Did they have the level amount of concern for what was going on? 
did the team go, oh, there's just some protesters here and we've moved uh, the vice president down to this uh, secure site and we're just going to hold here till this clears up? Did they go, okay, we're moving the vice president down to the secure site. We're in danger. Right. Did, they make an, did they make a, an extremist call? Where they go, vice president's in danger, vice president's in danger. I need every Secret Service gun over here at the building. If they didn't, then I would like to know why. The vice president of the United States was trapped in a building with tens of thousands of people there who were chanting, hang Mike Pence. Then that right there should be signs for the dismissal of everyone involved, including his team. Well, most of his team probably went to him now and are working to protect him now. But that means a top-to-bottom revamp of the Secret Service. Of all the organizations that should be the most apolitical, where they should be able to go, look, I've, I've held the top-secret SCI special access program clearance. I have had the lifestyle polygraph. I've had questions about my political loyalties to the United States. The Secret Service should be straight-up asked, who did you vote for? Right? And they should, be, they should say, if you voted for Joe Biden, you're not going on Biden's team. We want people who are neutral here, who have one thing. The one thing they should be jealous of is failing in their job to protect anyone who is a protectee under the Secret Service. The Secret Service should be protecting the Secret Service's reputation, which means no one under their control gets hurt, killed, injured, or intervened in any way, shape, or form to the exclusion, to the point where if you got to come out and go to guns and shoot your way through a crowd, so be it. You know, we see all these these representations. For example, I mean, a good example is Tom Clancy. He has a, a movie with Harrison Ford where he's in Colombia and the, the secretary, the FBI director gets murdered. Right. And the Secret Service there are all guns out and protecting. Well, the only thing you didn't see that day were the people with the guns. They were there. There were armed people in that building. I personally identified from photographs people carrying handguns and yep. the types of handguns that they were carrying. There were dozens and dozens of cops with their badges and their firearms who were fighting their brother policemen. Right. This was a crisis of a level that I think we have not yet recognized. Was there a conspiracy to allow this? The, the three lo- people in the line of secession to be killed, incapacitated or taken out of communication to where Donald Trump was the only authority left in the United States. There's a and, question. And potentially, right. And potentially a plurality of Congress people uh, so yes. that Congress would, would be completely rendered completely useless. And, Mary, yeah, here's go ahead. the question. Mm-hmm. Did someone ever say anywhere at any time? We can take them all out at one time when they were planning this. Someone may have said it. Someone may have thought it. Someone may have texted it. Until that question is definitively answered, I'm going to believe there's a conspiracy. I'm with you because, you know, in addition to whiteness being the only calling card, these these insurrection is needed. We also have this loyalty issue and not to be uh, reductive, but based on what you said earlier, if you're a Secret Service agent and you're asked, are you willing to take a bullet for the commander in chief? The answer shouldn't be it depends. But uh, clearly (laughs) that seems now to be the case with this deeply, deeply corrupt 
uh, agency. Uh, Malcolm, we're, we're almost up, but I, I know you have said very clearly that you do not believe that Donald is going to be held accountable. I'm not quite there yet. I need to hold out a little bit of hope. But mm. you know what really worries me? I don't know. Even if he is, that's not enough, is it? You know, everyone asked me this week, what could be the precipitating event in these crises that you're talking about? And one of the questioners said, what about the indictment or arrest of Donald Trump or where Trump has to surrender? Because, you know, they're never going to perp walk Donald Trump. They're never going to come and have handcuffs put on him. The issue of the Secret Service's obligation to protection has never been asked. Does he have a bodyguard team in jail? Does his personal protective officer, his cellmate, you know, does his detail drive him around in a B-7 rated armored vehicle or just put in a police car? You know, these are things that these, that the Trump insurgents, the Titus, may decide it's time to go to guns. Or worse, what if he's, you know, he's that one hamburger away from the end of his life? You know, and he just keels over due to his clogged arteries. And everyone comes up with a QAnon conspiracy theory that Hillary Clinton had him killed. That's right. You know, are we going to have to have the National Guard in Chappaqua? If you don't game these things out as an intelligence professional, particularly the Secret Service and Homeland Security's protective intelligence forces, then, then you're not even in the game. You know, I have to game these out with ISIS. Good God, these people are ISIS. Yeah. And, and the problem of the many problems, Malcolm, is that either way, things are going to end very badly. Uh, on the one hand, though, they end badly and America becomes a fascist autocracy. And on the other hand, they end badly and with violence, but American democracy lives to fight another day. Like that's sort of where we are. You know, it, it, it just it boggles my mind that I even have to answer these questions, that I even had to write this book. Uh -huh. Let me tell you something. When I wrote my, my, my first book about ISIS and all the horrible things they were doing, I throw the manuscript across the room all the time. And here's what, when this book, I would constantly ask, what am I writing? What, why, am, why am I projecting out 10 steps? This is insane. Yeah. Especially with QAnon, which has now taken over the Republican Party, right? As far as they're it concerned, is the Republican every Party. Liberal, yeah. Every liberal in America is uh, is evil and yep. must be put down. Women yep. must be arrested. I mean, you know, they they really that party. I said QAnon; it would take a year to two years to take over the Republican. It took six months. They don't say that Hillary Clinton is selling adrenochrome to children, but now they're on this whole liberals are grooming children's chick stick. Yep. And now they're they're saying, you know, we must do away with our political rivals. They use they do ads with AR-15s in them, you know, uh, that this absolutist let's just kill our enemies theme is now mainstream in That's the right. Republican Party. That's and it's psychopathic behavior. Psychopathic. Let's be clear about that. It's psychopathic. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, it, we are in serious Seriously dire straits, but I have to say, Malcolm, I know, well, actually, I don't know. I cannot imagine how difficult it must be for you to have to wallow in this stuff to help the rest of us understand. I mean, 
the, your newest book, I mean, this is true of all of your books, but things are worse than they were now and than they, than they were in 2016. Your new book, They Want to Kill Americans, The Militias, Terrorists, and Deranged Ideology of the Trump Insurgency is a roadmap for us to not only to understand how we got here, but where this might go if we don't stay vigilant. So Malcolm Nance, I am so grateful for your prescience, uh, your you. ability to help us understand in a, in a clear and visceral way what is going on in this country, what we face, for your patriotism and for your incredible bravery in, in fighting in Ukraine. And I know you're going back out there. So please stay safe. I will. Well, thank you, Mary. And I look forward to your New York Times book review article reviewing this book. Let's see if we can do that. I don't know if the New York Times will have me, but I promise you I'm going to do everything in my power to get this book out there. I know it. I, last I checked it, it hit number nine. So yeah. every on the New York Times bestseller list, everybody, our goal is to get they want to kill Americans to number one. One, because we want to get the fascists off the list to like, you know, buy books in bulk to get them on the list. And two, because this book is in, it's vitally important and everybody's got to read it. So, Malcolm, thank you again so much. It was so great to see you safe and sound at home. And uh, keep us posted. All right. Thank you. I'll, t I'll let you know. All right. Awesome. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that mu as much as I did. Uh, Malcolm Nance is just a brilliant, fascinating man who uh, really understands what's going on. And he, more than anybody, I think, has been sounding the alarm since at least 2016. Switching gears, we have in about 17, no, uh, yeah, 17 minutes, uh, the next live hearing and the second primetime hearing of the January 6th Select Committee. I, every other hearing so far has been as advertised or better than advertised. So I'm not really worried anymore that this committee is over-promising and under-delivering. It has been quite the opposite every single time. So um, we know that there will be two live witnesses today, both of whom I believe uh, resigned in um, as an objection to what happened on January 6th. And remember, uh, this is all going on in the context of everything we're learning about the Secret Service. I do not believe that that will be the focus of this evening's hearing. Um, from what I understand, they are going to go minute by minute through that 187 minutes during which Donald had ample opportunity to uh, quell things, to calm people down, to avoid violence. And at every opportunity, he decided not to. And um, I know why. So hopefully the committee is going to spell that out for us, but also for the DOJ. Uh, I believe we already have joining us George Hahn, Brian Karam. Hi, guys. It is so good to see Hi. you. Good to see Hi, you. Hi, Mary. Hey, Brian. 
Hi. Um, so I don't know how long you've been here, but uh, this is promising to be something. Uh, I don't like using these terms. I heard somebody start talking about the hearings like a season of the Kardashians. Like, let's let's not minimize the importance of what this is. But the season um, finale, the Kardashians. I think we can safely say the word blockbuster um, because, like I said, this this committee has been under promising and over delivering practically every uh, single time, right, George? Ryan, I mean, you did it? Yes, you did it? Yes, um, and it. it I, as I said last time, I think we spoke, I've never been, I would never have colorized myself as a political creature, you know, growing up. But in this time, I would say, oh, a hearing, it's going to be boring. You know, I remember watching like loosely peripherally watching like the Anita Hill hearings when those mm -hmm. were happening. You know, to me at that time, at that age, boring. These, this, this group has done such an incredible job. Um, uh, uh, not condensing, but really getting down to the essentials um, and what really matters here to the heart of the matter. I guess maybe that's what I'm trying to say. And yeah. uh, they've done a great, they've done really good work. They've done really good work. I've been really impressed. I, I remember at our very first live stream of the very first hearing, Brian, that, that one, hi Norm. Uh, you know, hi, the man. hats are there just, you just make I, me jealous with the hats. Hi, Jen. Jen, yes. what are we going to do about the hat situation? I anyway, have any hats with me. Jen, Norm. Hey, you were saying something, Mary. Welcome. <laughs> Dean, hey, how are you? Good, how you are you? Hello. Uh, Hello. I'm okay. I'm going to jump to Dean quickly because he can't stay with us for very long. And uh, Dean, it's I was just choice. saying. It's my choice. I don't want to stay with you. See, is that nice? <laughs> no, it's not nice. I'm just being, I'm kidding. Good to see everyone. Hello, everybody. Good to see you. Um, oh, it's hat night? I forgot that. Well, it's hat it's, night. You forgot it's, a, it's hat night? I even brought oh, one from that Chuck Todd gave me. All right. Oh, name dropping. It's oh, always it's always hat oh. night, except for those of us who don't have any hats. Anyway, Dean, we were talking about how this committee has has really been uh, over delivering um, and and beating expectations, and it just okay, Brent. <laughs> Oh right. my God! Wow, it's hard to focus. Um, so all the hats, all the name dropping, just get it done now. Yeah, I think it's we get it all out. Hats all night long. I'm Hi, full on costume shot. And Charlotte, if you whip a hat out, I'm gonna die. Do you have a hat? <laughs> Go, Charlotte. What? You got a hat. Oh, Charlotte, do you have a hat? It, well, I, I didn't bring a hat, but Brian brought 19. I, okay. Look at this. Oh, oh, no. oh my God. I don't know. Ooh, it matches. Dean, Dean stay with me. I'm going to do a costume change. Dean, don't that? stay no with me. Brian brought his lucky charms. Brian brought his lucky charms. And magically delicious. <laughs> not, Norma, not, not really. Okay, Norma so Dean. The lost art. At the first hearing, I remember there was some skepticism about the fact that the Democrats had hired. Uh, you know, I don't know, a Hollywood producer or a movie, what, some kind of producer. And, you know, we were worried that it would kind of um, make it seem too slick or something. But we've seen what a brilliant move it was because it wasn't about, uh, although, look, as we've all said, production values matter. It's also about how complicated this is, how, how much information. You need a really good editor you need somebody who understands how to tell the story so um i don't know what do you think do you think it's paid off i think it's been good can i just say look adam's wearing a hat so apparently feeling very patriotic today hat so memo good. 
George, can we get hats? Can we take a break to get a hat? Can I make a hat? I got. I can, I I can grab one. The, I you can grow, the Mary, first of all, can I just say what a good broadcaster you've become? And the way you answer your questions now, it's really good. I'm not kidding. I, I'm really, no, Despite I'm kidding. the hat you've chaos, grown. thank you. You've grown in the two months. I've grown. I'm really going to say <laughs> you're really coming to your own right now. Thank and you see, so much. Look, Dave. I think the January 6th committee oh. has told a story. You know why we know it works? Because people talk about it. People say, right. remember this? Remember that? It sticks with you. It's not like, oh, oh, yeah, that thing. There are certain things. This is ridiculous. George has a hat. Charlotte's got a tiara. I mean, That's come right. on. I mean, the best I got, I'm actually on a break between in my radio there show. You go. Yeah, and, see, so the best I can do. The, no, so I think it's, and I think tonight after tonight's hearing, it's done. I think they arrest Donald Trump after tonight's hearing. That's my thing. They go right down, like Richard Kimball and the fugitive. We have a fugitive. His name is Donald J. Trump. They hold the picture up. They let the dogs go. That's my dream. Can I have a dream for a couple hours? That's my dream. That is actually, it's, this might just tell you where my state of mind is. I woke up at five o'clock the other morning thinking, how is that going to work? You know, are they going to send like a SWAT team to Mar-a-Lago? Are they going to make an array? I don't know. <laughs> so uh, well, we can the dream. The SWAT team I, going down there may be to arrest their, his Secret Service agents. Uh, well, Norm. I, I don't believe this is part of the, this hearing tonight, but I That's do nice. think that it's important to think about all of this in the context of what is happening with the Secret Service. We already knew there were issues, Norm, but what we're hearing is beyond the pale. And uh, I, I know the committee is really pissed, uh, as they should be, and the rest of us should. There is absolutely no question that this was uh, overt obstruction of justice. That uh, and Carol Leonig of the Post, who knows more about the Secret Service than any other journalist, and maybe all other journalists combined, yeah, um, was just saying that you know there are a lot of wonderful patriots, and then there are some really bad guys, and the stuff that they did, and it wasn't just on January sixth, and what happened then. It was roughing up protesters. It was doing all kinds of things to the bidding of a criminal instead of for the United States. And they covered it up. And if we can't retrieve that stuff, we have to haul these people in and get them to testify under oath. And uh, there have to be, and I want the IT people in because this is the uh, cutting edge of cyber uh, security in this agency. Somebody knows what happened, and somebody knows what happened that caused them to erase all of these texts, and they've got to do a real uh, scrubbing of this agency. And, you know, it was a huge mistake to move it from the Treasury Department to the Department of Homeland Security to begin with, and they did all kinds of shit, uh, really bad stuff with asylum seekers, uh, families, and the like. There's a lot more. It's on Mayorkas, the Secretary of Homeland Security as well, because the head of uh, the uh, IG for the Department of Homeland Security, you know, at first glance it was, oh, look, he's doing such a good job. He's uh, airing this in public that they uh, uh, have not turned this stuff over. Now we've learned that he's known it since February and all that time, never reported it to Congress, which he was supposed to do under the law, all that time lost when they might've been able to retrieve those texts there are some really bad actors there, and the secretary has, has got to do his job as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. Hi, John. And I know uh, you also don't John. have uh, lots of time to spend with us tonight because uh, the hearing is starting soon. But John, we're just talking about uh, tonight's hearing in the or all of the hearings, really, in the context of what we now know has been going on with the Secret Service. I know that's not the topic of tonight's show, but I think it's important to keep in mind because uh, this is the first real um it's not evidence necessarily, but this is the first time that an entire agency is being indicted instead of just individuals indicting other individuals. And it's just another demonstration of how uh, corrosive the Trump administration was. And I think one thing, and it, it, it may be an unintended consequence of these hearings, but we're being reminded of how fragile our institutions are and how so many things need to change, whether it's a shorter transition period or not allowing partisan holdovers to stay in or what have you. So, John, in, in the context of all of that, what are you hoping for tonight? What are you expecting? And um, should we, I don't know, be hopeful? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sure, let's be hopeful. In a week when we've seen the GOP pretty much go on the record about wanting to take away contraception, wanting to end same-sex marriage, wanting to force 10-year-old rape victims to give birth to their attackers' children, and now the greatest Secret Service scandal since, I guess, the Colombian prostitution scandal when they were all getting secretly serviced. Uh, I think this is bigger now. Oh, it's much bigger. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is horrifying. This is, if I dare say, a, a deep state kind of conspiracy, um, which is why I think these hearings tonight matter more than ever, because I think the American psyche is so psyched out that we want to see some empathetic, concerned adults who are working in some civic way just acknowledge that we're shaking Merrick Garland awake and trying to hold people accountable. We need to show history that the majority of us knew this was wrong at the time. That's why the two impeachments were both so important to show posterity that, yes, enough of us stood up to say this was wrong. Tonight's going to be fascinating because Kinzinger's leading the hearing. I'm sure. Hello, yeah. everyone. I'm sorry to be late. I'm sure you've already been discussing uh, Benny Thompson's unfortunate. Uh, nope, not yet. But um, this tonight is all going to be minute by minute about what Trump was doing the entire 187 minutes. And I have to believe that these have been staged so well and produced so well that they have saved uh, some of the most compelling information for the last night. They have. To. I can give some background on some of that. Um, I, mean, I just want to go to Jen really quickly, Brian, um, because uh, because you you just have too many hats. Honestly, no, that's not, <laughs> that's not why literally, I'm literally. only wearing one right People now. Coming, oh, no, you, wear a lot of hats. you know, it's weird. Like hats are like guns. You can't really use more than one at a time. <laughs> I, okay. The hat thing. Wait a minute. <laughs> so, so Jed, um, the reason I think that this is not the last hearing is because it seems like every time we turn around, every time another witness, we, there's a trail leading elsewhere. Uh, so do you think that, that this is, this is something that is going to continue because the, this committee is just as aware as the DOJ that you go for the king you best not miss. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you pull one thread and something else happens. We can see that. I think at some point after the August recess, though, they're going to have to make a decision because for the House, as we all know, elections are every two years. 
And I don't think past September they can be doing this. I mean, maybe these members are on the committee are secure. I, I haven't paid attention well, to Kinziger's not running and Cheney's probably going to lose in the primary. So that's two. Yeah. Okay. At, yeah. at any rate, um, that's all good. Worth a shot. it's worth a shot trying to yeah. actually find for re-election. So I, yeah. I think at some point, but I would expect some more hearings to happen. And one thing, one little quick thing is, you know, Donald's impact and January 6th impact um, on the democracy is, is tremendous, but it, there's also some small impacts. I'm down here in Washington doing research, and just a few years ago, when you would, you know, you could just walk into the Capitol, go knock on a door, I, you know, not even knock on an officer. I, I walk in, say, hey, you know, talk to the staff, see if I can make an appointment. I treat this place like it's a university or any other mm -hmm. kind of semi, you know, it's a public space. Now it's so different and not just because of COVID because when I was in the building yesterday, um, lovely people there, but like the interns don't know it as being any different. I was like escorted throughout the building. I couldn't even like eat lunch alone. I used to hang out during the Dodd-Frank days. I'd hang out in the Senate chef. I'd walk here there. Like it, there's no freedom. The Supreme Court's all screened up. I mean, I'll let you go back to this yeah. place. But it's, 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 we need to get back to a place where this is our space, our democracy, our elections, um, and it's not, you know, it's not over. It is not over yet. But that, you know, that's you, the future that the Republicans want. Adam, hang on one sec. I just want, no, you're, you're, Ryan, you're I want you to, to go ahead with your thought. And then I want to get to Adam and Charlotte really quickly uh, because the hearing is going to start soon. Go ahead, Brian. And then well, Adam and then A Charlotte. little background on a couple of things. Uh, Jen, you can, if you have a hard pass, you can still do all of that. If you have to be signed in, uh, you can't. That's that's the reality that did start with COVID. There was a lockdown after the January 6th, and that additional lockdown is what you're seeing today. Uh, to what John was uh, saying, the 187 minutes, I can tell you that there are many reporters that were asked about um, by members of uh, the White House and by congressional staffers as to what, if we were there that day, what went on for those 187 minutes. The only thing I can contribute to that was after we got back from being attacked on at, at the, um, at the Capitol by some of those oath keepers guys, when we were back in the white house, there had to have been, and I'm, I, I'm underestimating the number of reporters, but for those 187 minutes, there were at least of the 150 reporters that were in that building that day, give or take a few, every single one of them. And I'm, I'm not limiting, in, I'm not excluding anyone. I mean, everyone from Fox, Newsmax, OAN, MSNBC, CBS, ABC. We all walked into that White House lower press asking them to please have the president come out to the podium and make a statement. And we were all told that he was otherwise indisposed and off the record we were told he was watching it uh, on TV, and if he felt like there was anything to say, that he would. What you're going to hear tonight is you're going to hear the people who got to see him personally and him tell them that yeah. will tell us that because we only had secondhand information that day. And the information that we had is that he was watching it on TV yeah. and that he, if he felt like there was something to say, he would come out. Those things are important because it shows not only the nonchalance that he held towards this um, insurrection, 
But there will be other evidence come out tonight and evidence that we've already heard showing that, indeed, he was behind all of it. Mm-hmm. And at yeah. the end of the night, at the end of the night tonight, I think the only question will be, when will there be indictments? And right. for those who doubt that Merrick Garland is doing anything, I remind you that there is a grand jury impaneled. We know that because Jeffrey Clark, we saw him in his undies being tossed out on his front porch. So we know that there's we know that there's something ongoing. Okay, and Brian. Before, sorry, I just we're almost about to start. Okay, so I'm sorry. Just, the, the Liz Cheney is the one you want to watch. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna see your nonchalance and raise you ecstatic. Raise you to ecstatic. He was ecstatic. Adam. Yeah, yeah mine, mine's a joke that could wait until later. So Charlotte, okay, all Charlotte, yours. Go. I have nothing of value to add. Let's get to the damn hearing. Well, we can, I, I don't have any control over that, uh, despite Dean's very com- nice compliments earlier. <laughs> yeah, I, I was just no. going to say, let's go. It'll, but you it'll had, Mary, you had, you were to talking it. to Malcolm before, and Malcolm kind of nailed it, and we'll go back to it. But for that 187 minutes, um, he was waiting for the insurrectionist to take the building. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. To make him king. That's All right, Adam, what's the joke? And then we're going to... I just want to get back to a place where the metal detectors at the uh, at the Congress were put in place, you know, to basically keep the tinfoil hats out and everything <laughs> ran so we could come and go. Yeah. Uh, here we go. All right. Here we go, indeed. Okay. Holy uh, running. Or, Holy shit. Thing or two to say. Um, run, that, Josh, run. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> you know, one of, one of the first things, uh, especially listening to Cipollone speaking, is just the the abject cowardice of the people Donald surrounded himself with. But then, of course, the traitorous Republicans in Congress who, like Holly, as we just saw, had no problem riling up the crowd, putting God knows how many people in danger, especially the people who were there to protect assholes like Holly. Right. Um, the timeline is fascinating. I'm sure they're going to get to this. But, you know, at 1:11, I think that's when Donald got back to the White House. He already knew. Right. That we, you know, get rid of the fucking mags because I know they have guns and they're not here to hurt me, he said at the ellipse. He knows this when he's back in the White House. And I just want to point out, and Charlotte, I want to start with you. Um, You know, two things. First of all, nobody, nobody on the planet has access to more or more accurate information than the guy in the Oval Office, and nobody on the planet has more immediate access to crucial information than the guy in the Oval Office. The other thing is, unlike the big lie, there was nobody with a, a contrary narrative here. Nobody was telling Donald that nobody's armed. Nobody was telling Donald that it wasn't a problem, everybody's safe, Nobody's at risk. Not one person. This is all on him. There is absolutely no claim of ignorance here. No, no. He's being informed by all sides that this is bad and he needs to say something. His literal West Wing staff is saying that they need to get the word to him to say something to stop this madness. And he keeps going. The National Security Council has that log where they're recognizing how severe this is, how much the vice president in danger, and they just let it go. 
Secret Service. I mean, on and on and on, you see examples of people who had access to ready information that he would have known within seconds in good faith. And yet he ignores all of it and allows this attack to happen for the next hour and a half. It's horrific. It's horrific. And while this is legitimately I, frightening. Yeah, it, it, it's, I mean, there. Hey, Kathy, how are you? Hi. Hey, um, glad hey, you're Kathy. here. Uh, I just wanted to get to Waj first, and then Kathy will go to you. Um, you know, Waj, as Charlotte just said, it, it's terrifying because so many people have known all of this information for so long. And we've all talked about this before, how, how much, how that increases the danger of what happened because, uh, you know, Donald's still roaming around the country, spreading his lies and, and, and riling people up. The other thing I think it's really important, especially in the context of what we talked about at the beginning, all this stuff about the secret service, it sounds almost like Pence's detail was afraid because they might've known what they were up against in their own fucking agency. Yeah. I mean, there's several moments here that give you pause, even though we've seen these videos time and time again, I think the, the fact that they've broken this down uh, minute by minute and literally are taking us where Trump was and that he knew for about three hours or so that his, uh, the U.S. Capitol was being overrun. Uh, Mike Pence uh, was being literally sought out to be hung uh, by the base, right? And the fact that a point that was just made, and I think you made it really well, is that there was a singular narrative where the people closest to Donald Trump, these are all conservatives. I've said this point again, that, that one of the greatest aspects of this hearing is that they're not bringing out liberals. They're not bringing out Democrats. These are all MAGA conservatives who ser served with Trump, lifelong conservatives, who are the witnesses testifying against Donald Trump and his coterie of uh, coup accomplices. And so what we're seeing right now is that the fact that everybody knew this was atrocious, dangerous, violent, terrifying, and they kept quiet. They kept quiet and only spoke up to protect themselves and their own skin. And only after the hearing compelled them to speak, giving them subpoenas, right? And even yeah. then, you see people stay quiet. So for a year, they knew yes, that this was a premeditated, violent attempt and Donald Trump did nothing. And the thing that really just pisses me off, as I'm seeing Mike Pence and his secret security, right? People literally calling their families, you know, afraid. I mean, because if I was there, I'm looking at that video right now. If I was there and I saw that, I, I would honestly think I'm dead. I'm dying today. I would text my wife, tell my kids I love them, write up a quick will if I could. And even then, Mike Pence, the man who literally uh, was hung out to dry, even now he defends and capes for the Republican Party. If Donald Trump was to run, he would vote for him. The man that literally sold him out and threw him under the bus. And so what we're dealing with right now is not just Donald Trump, but I think an entire complicit GOP that is fully committed to the big lie, even if it means that they themselves would be assassinated, killed, or, or literally given up to the mob. It's it's a cult. And the only and what, what I'm seeing this, and the last thing I'll say is, the only thing I can think of now, the next step is, I need indictments. I've yeah. seen enough. Yeah. And if I'm not going to get it from Merrick Garland, but keep your eye on the DA of Fulton County, Fannie yep. Willis. She's yep. going to get it done. And that's, that's where I want to take the next step. The next step is, I've seen enough. I need indictments. Yeah, I absolutely. And Kathy, I, I I would be remiss if I didn't mention how fabulous your hair and makeup look. So I'm really happy that you I were mean, able to take a that's break. That's why we're really here is to talk Th about my hair straightening and my makeup because that's right. These have me tonight. You know how they are. Very demanding. So I have to look fierce. So after this, I'm going to go open a, an event for Outfest. But um, did I miss the outtakes? Are they? Are they <laughs> the outtakes from the 
from the, you know, go home, we all love you thing. Oh, no, we didn't, didn't sell those yet. No. Oh, we have ways to right? Gosh, right? Oh, that's going to be so hard. I know it has nothing hard. to do with the end of democracy, but I just give me something. Oh. And also, I just want to, and Brian, obviously you were there, you guys know they were there, and being a, a psycho, I followed everything on the live stream, is... Um, they were really screaming, hang Nancy Pelosi and AOC, really yes. just as much as my pets. Yep, of course. And even though even Trump was did the tweet about Mike let us down, um, I think it's it's interesting that the committee kind of doesn't want to go there with the misogyny stuff. Yeah. But I, mean, I think that's a, a big part of it because um, there's I think there's a lot of people that actually are still concerned about things like was there really a safe button pulled off right on a Presley and stuff like that. So those questions. Are, they add to the the shock and awe, which I feel when nothing will make these people just say the truth, even when it doesn't incriminate them. And Kathy, I just want to add something really quickly. I, I took a, a very quick look at Twitter, and I think, Adam, you, you uh, tweeted about this. The House GOP Twitter account oh. um, set out a tweet uh, attacking Sarah Matthews. It's since been taken down, but this is now like official GOP policy. What's a thought, Pose. by the way? Sorry to be thought is like a hoe, and a hoe yeah. is like a hua. Yeah, okay. A Thank you. Was a I live in a bubble. She was a hua. I, I have a question for like oh, who's a lawyer? Well, Norm, you're like constitutional. But Jen and Norma are legal. So there's this guy that gives me a lot of crap. His name is Elijah Schaefer. And he works for one of these daily callers, one of those. He was there and he was in Pelosi's office with, I think it's the guy Barnett that had his like feet up and stuff. Yeah. And he's like been able to say he's a journalist, but he was taking pictures of her laptop. Remember the famous, like they took Nancy's laptop. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, like what's going to happen to folks like that too. And I'm curious, do you guys feel that there are also journalists that are not doing the right thing. Like, look, yes, Elijah yes. Schaefer is a scumbag, but he should he should be forced to testify. He should. Well, there are. Okay, wait. Hang, hang, hang on one second. Let's it, Jen, and then Brian. Okay. So two things, Kathy, because so this is you know what happened, what went down on January sixth, absolutely was a big you know violent orgy, insurrection, misogyny, all this other stuff. But, but. The purpose of this particular committee is to, they say they're investigating January 6th, but really they are doing the part that Garland isn't doing, which is showing the connection, showing the role that Donald Trump played and what is the activity in the conspiracy that he was involved in that was illegal. And some of the stuff you're talking about, as egregious as it is, doesn't go to the piece about trying to overturn a lawful election directly. So I think to some degree, not mentioning the AOC threats, not mentioning Nancy Pelosi helps keep us focused mm-hmm. on, yeah. on, the, on Pence because he was the person who would every other legal effort had failed. If Mike Pence had either been gone or succumbed to Donald's whims and and thrown out the votes, that would have overturned the election. So that's, I think, I agree with you. Like, I want all that taken care of, but I don't want the committee. I'm glad they're actually ignoring it. Yeah, I'm wondering if, I know it sounds crazy, but I wouldn't doubt it if Donald would be texting 
these like low level daily caller types and stuff. But I you know what I, I think, Kathy, hang on one second, Brian, because I want to get day. your I want to get your take on um, the way they've laid out uh, the layout, et cetera. But I just want to add something really quickly to, to Jen and Kathy. Uh, the other reason I think it's important is because Pence is the only person we have on record right now that Donald who, whom Donald called out directly. He actually, in my view, yeah. he gave Mike Pence a death sentence. We don't know if he said anything directly about no. Nancy Pelosi that no, day that was all or the not. Crowd boys, and that right. came from, that came from the crowd. Right. Wanna, so Brian, let me catch up on a couple of facts real okay, quick. First go of all, for it. Uh, I just want to say for for Kathy, when danger reared its ugly head. Sir Joshi turned his tail and fled. <laughs> he bravely ran away. Sir Robin ran away. 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 No, and, and pointing out the picture was taken behind the safety of, of a police line was very important. There's a couple of things that I think Cipollone is a coward, and he's not been oh. honest about a couple of things. Unbelievable. First of all, he said he found out about the violence through the media. We were there. He was the pre he was in with the president. He had, unless I'm wrong, and I, in the past, in, unless for some miracle on this one day, the most important day out of the year, that his, his lawyer was not privy to the information that he's always privy to. The same thing the president is. He would have all of that. He did not have to wait for the press. He had communi direct communications with uh, the Secret Service and the police and was getting stuff on the ground in real time. So I don't know why he told that lie, but that's not, it seems to me to ring false. In, in addition, what Judd, what I think you're seeing from some of these people that I know is them trying to be very judicious about things that they reacted very viscerally to on that day. I remember when, when that tweet came through and what was said, and you wouldn't want to repeat it. So, I mean, there were people that were very upset and I think they're trying their best to do, to try to line, but folks, at this point in time, I think it's ridiculous to try and play that game. Just be yep. as honest and upfront as possible. This is what you're seeing in these 187 minutes is the distillation of the disintegration of a democracy led by a man who, for no other reason, for his own stupid ego, has to try and hold on to something that he can't and taking everyone down with him into that black hole he would like to drag us all. But so is that what you think Pence is doing, trying to hold on? I think I think Pence did the very minimum of what he could do. He could have done so much more. And when his own life was at stake, he did the right thing and didn't leave. So you got to give him that. He could have fled and he said, no, I don't want to see. But he, he didn't leave because he was afraid to. He, I'm sorry. At this point, that's what yeah. we that's oh, what no, I think is oh, the no. case. But normal, you know, I think what Brian just said is good. absolutely right that. 187 minutes is the distillation of the demise of democracy at the hands of the most worthless person I've ever met in my life. Like part of what I was thinking this whole time is I can't believe we have to keep talking about this fucking asshole, you know? So right. it's like, that's really stressful too, Norm. Like all of this, it's, it's the horror. It's Betty the shame. I now recognize. The I'm sorry, Norm. Illinois. We'll start with you. When I'm going to go see the gays. Love you guys. Love Okay. Um, <clears throat> first of all, the only thing I, I thought was a slight misstep was when um, Adam Kinziger said that Donald refused to lead. He was leading. He was leading his people. He's never, never 
given a shit about America. He's never led this country. He's only ever led his people. And let's be real. The only reason he made those, I can't even call them, um, they weren't even speeches. He made those remarks uh, was because he knew that his plan had failed. It failed when he wasn't allowed to go to the Capitol and it failed when his people, those rioters, those insurrectionists didn't actually hang Mike Pence or murder Nancy Pelosi. And we've said this earlier, we've heard video of what people in the Capitol planned. They, they had, they gotten their hands on any woman, Congresswoman or, uh, aid, those women would have been raped and murdered. If they'd gotten their hands on any male senator or, Congre or um, representative, they would have been murdered. It's, we need to keep in mind how close we came and at whose hands. Um, We also need to remember that in his remarks of January 6th and January 7th, there was nothing ameliorative. There was nothing mitigating. He left the door open, which is why this is still going on. This man needs to be led away in handcuffs. He needs to be tried and he needs to be convicted he needs to be as kept as far away from power. This never should have happened in the first place. I think that we're learning that. Uh, he never should have been anywhere near the levers of power. He should never be free again. The damage he has wrought is inescapable. Every single person who's testified, given video testi testimony is an enabler. Every single Republican. We, almost without exception in Congress, is an enabler. And as I said earlier, one of the things that these hearings are doing, they are exposing weaknesses in this system. Why Section 3 of the 14th Amendment hasn't been invoked? Why there are active seditionists like fucking Josh Hawley, who ran away at the first sign of trouble, hasn't been indicted is beyond comprehension along with the other nine senators and over 150 Congress people. So as is often the case at the end of these hearings, I feel this mixture of solemnity, profound sadness, and inchoate rage. It's a good For many, word. many, many reasons. But one, like most basically, I spoke to Malcolm Nance earlier and he said the whiteness of those people was their entry card. If those had been black and brown people, they all would be dead. Capitol Police would have opened fire immediately. So before I start rambling incomprehensibly those are just my 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 immediate uh my immediate reactions it's much more complicated of course norm i would like to start with you so so much to say first i wanted to give a hat tip to nancy pelosi the members that she picked for this committee 
have all just been superb when they've had their moments to uh, talk and to lead through this process. And that was particularly true tonight. Both Adam Kinsinger and Elaine Luria, I thought were just superb, including in, the, of course, those uh, closing uh, comments. Uh, the, uh, the second uh, point is that, you know, I thought that comment that uh, Liz Cheney made, preying on his, uh, on their patriotism, when you said he led uh, the people, the, his followers he views as saps. They will go follow in, him on anything that he does. You know, the, the, the uh, uh, killing somebody, shooting somebody in broad daylight on Fifth Avenue demonstrated contempt for those people. And it's in a way sad that uh, as members of a cult, it's like so many of those that Jim Jones actually got, uh, other than those who were forced to drink the Kool-Aid, to do that. And it's a similar kind of phenomenon. I thought I just loved the trolling over and over of Kevin McCarthy. And, <laughs> uh, and of course, uh, you know, uh, Josh Hawley, uh, this will, he will never live this down. I'd love to see him indicted, but just uh, having the video of him running away like that, now uh, <laughs> to the tune of so many songs, Chariots of Fire and others, um, all of that is delicious, but of course it's a side issue. The problem that the uh, Justice Department has here is making the link. What he should be, I mean, I think he should be charged with uh, an accessory to attempted murder of Mike Pence, but seditious conspiracy is the yeah. place we need to go. The problem, is, as Harry Lippman pointed out in an op-ed, and I'm afraid he's right, is we're still missing the one link the conspiracy part where we get evidence that he talked directly to the Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers, and some of the others along the way. Now, I can make a case even without that. You can have a tacit conspiracy, but that's a harder case to take forward. They're going to get him on a lot of other stuff, I think. I just don't see how, having gotten through to this point, you can avoid a lot of indictments uh, of a lot of people. And I want to come back to the fact that, as we were talking about, uh, as you were saying, Mary, murdering uh, members, the reality that people who went into the Capitol knew which rooms to go to. We've said this over and over, but it's the case. Somebody inside directed them to unmarked rooms of leaders. There was a direct attempt to get to Nancy Pelosi and other leaders and kill them. And it's members of Congress, and it's potentially others working in the Capitol. We need to find out who those people were and nail them to the wall. There's so many people. And just finally, the last uh, point that uh, was made a couple of times by Kinsinger, especially at the end, and I know I've talked to members of the committee about this as well, that we they have to turn the focus in the fall to the threats that remain because they're even deeper. This uh, move to uh, reform the Electoral Count Act is entirely commendable. They're doing some good things. It does not stop uh, or even halt the possibility of having something much worse in 2024. And that has to be highlighted over and over again. 
it, uh, to me, a, a little bit of it at the parallel is when our intelligence people um, talked about what the, Russia was going to try to do with false flags in Ukraine. You talk about it publicly, and it means that you can't lie in the same way and get away with it. We need to put out there what they're going to try to do so that if they do try to do it, it doesn't just happen of the moment and journalists will just report on what's happening. It's critical, and that has to be a good portion of what they do in the fall, even as they tie all this other stuff up. Yeah, um, Adam, that's a good point. This, this, this committee and these hearings uh, need to be as forward-looking as they are backward-looking. Otherwise, um, you know, a concern a lot of us have is that uh, they'll just say it was Donald, you know, um, and and we're just going to go ahead as if the Republican Party is just fine. Thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, not to not to knock the oversight committee, but I'd love to see the January 6th committee be a concrete standing committee that is here to stay. Um, I think we've seen more uh, exposing of corruption and what we all believe to be true, but the facts coming to life uh, in the past couple months than, you know, we typically see throughout Congress. And it's been um, eye-opening. The, the people that are actually coming forward and uh, giving their testimony under oath behind closed doors and then doing it publicly are not only uh, true and factual, but we see that the people that are slamming them and attacking them are proved to be wrong within days. And I think, you know, what Cassidy Hutchinson did, uh, the, the one mistake that Peter Alexander made uh, with that, yeah. that, you know, anonymous source um, has come to light and it's exposed uh, an incredible amount of corruption that many thought were there with Secret Service. Um, and tonight is another perfect example of, you know, the, the work this committee has been doing. And I think that, you know, we're all excited to see what is potentially one more at the very least in August. Yeah. The only, the only uh, quick thing I'll say is that the fact that they're going on recess makes me insane. I don't know, understand why Schumer is allowing that to happen in this uh, particularly, this is a very important year. We're running out of time before, <laughs> before the election. Uh, Jen, Norm pointed out what, what at the moment does feel like a glaring omission in terms of uh, connecting the dots and having direct evidence of conspiracy. But can you walk us some through some of the other charges that, that um, Donald might be facing that, that we potentially have enough uh, to pin on him? Yeah, so I agree with uh, Norm and Harry Littman, of course, because uh, in terms of the most seditious conspiracy as well as conspiracy to defraud the U.S. are the ones that seem like the ideal statutes to use. But there are, and you could, and I agree with Norm, go to trial with this. But of course, you always want just a little bit more because, you know, for the jury. But there are other statutes. And one that I have in mind is um, rebellion or insurrection. So this appears in the uh, U.S. code right before seditious conspiracy. And you don't need any more than one person. And what it says is whoever incites, sets on foot, assists or engages in any rebellion or insurrection against the authority of the U.S. or the laws thereof or gives aid or comfort thereto shall be fined and shall be incapable of holding any office in the United States. So it depends on what incites means. Um, there's also, though, 
And I think it's clear that he incited. This is what they're showing. So I think there's enough already to charge under 2383. There's also 18 U.S.C. 2, which is like a, you often see it um, in indictments by the Justice Department. This is known as the um, aiding and abetting statute. And there's a lot of verbs here. Aiding and abetting. Yeah, a lot of verbs here saying whoever commits an offense against the U.S. or aids, abets, counsels, commands, induces, or procures its commission, um, and so on, so on, so on. So, uh, you know, I think I would line all these up, um, and I imagine these are the, you know, it's clear these are the memos and these are being researched. Uh, you know, this is what's being looked at right now, not, not to mention, of course, obstruction and all these other things. Yeah. Um, and, you know, George, is, as a layperson, it's very difficult <laughs> to say it, we have everything we need. <clears throat> just lock them, lock them up, go, you know, put the handcuffs on them and just, you know, well, and I think part of that, too, is that that, you know, we know that that he's been getting away with shit for like five decades. But can I just come right back in, though, too. Sure. The thing is, again, it's all about, you know, you give the jury instructions. And when I read you that statutory language, that's what the jury is looking at, right? Each element. And one thing, we had a smoking gun at the last hearing about Trump knowing people were armed, saying they're, they're not coming against me. Today we get again and again and again him knowing the power of his words, showing that people follow his words and people telling him that they follow his words. So, you know, they're really building the incitement case under 2383 as far as I'm concerned. Sorry, George, take your time. No, that's Jen. You just uh, helped me connect even more dots because there are so many dots to connect. Right. Uh, Jen, you just mentioned, um, you know, knowing that they were armed. Um, I brought up early in our comments section, but uh, Kinzinger brought it up in his really good closing remarks about this dereliction of duty, this negligent negligence. He took an oath when he took the office. He took an oath to protect. All right. Uh, you could just talk about, and again, I, I'm my legal expertise goes nowhere beyond law and order. However, in the occasional legal thriller, <laughs> however, um, he knew these people were armed, didn't care, and said, "Go down to the Capitol." How is that not negligence or a dereliction of duty when he is he has an oath, an obligation to protect American citizens in this country? He knew they were armed. And said, "Let's go down to the Capitol." Yeah, uh, it's. What else do you need? I mean, it and and not that's just one of, armed. That's one of probably several, Mary. Heavily that's armed, just, right? Yeah. Of, but that's right, one of, of several course. examples. One right. of several dots you could connect, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Brian, I know you had some. Uh, oh well, context I, for us. Yeah, a little bit of context. First of all, I'd say there was one statement tonight that I think. Um, had more gravitas underneath it than we may have caught initially. And that was uh, when Liz Cheney said the testimony didn't come from his opponents, but came from quote, a series of confessions from staffers unquote, which tells you exactly how it not only tells you that it's firsthand knowledge, but that they weren't real forward about coming forward in the first place. And that when she said the dam began to broke at the to break at the end, get my English right here in a minute. When the dam uh, has begun to break, as she said at the beginning of uh, the statement tonight, it's letting you know that you know season two is going to be 
something else. And I was it Adam or Norm? One of you said uh, make it. I think it was you, Adam. Said make it a standing committee. I think they're making a case for this being a standing committee because the simple fact that there's as deep as it goes. Kinzinger warned us tonight that how deep it goes. Right. So they're set. All of this is done in you know it, it Hollywood style. So you know what they're setting up. There. This is the cliffhanger to set up something going forward. So I think that coupled with the Secret Service investigation, coupled with the depths of, of January 6th and how how widespread it is, I think that would be reasonable to see that some kind of standing committee would come into play. But it also tells you, again, at the end of the day, the question is, are indictments coming? And I think the answer is yes. And who it will be, I don't know yet. And it And the thing we have to watch is, is he going to pull a Comey and do it before the midterms, or is he going to do it the day after? He's are there's already indication that they won't announce anything until after. That's fine. I'd, I also, I'd also love to to know if Merrick Garland was watching tonight. I think the yeah, well, now this I should ask. Tell you, well, that would be dereliction of duty if he's office. not. I do know people in his office, and all of them. Are but you know, he takes trips to Ukraine. You never know. They have people it, at exactly. the hearings. The FBI and the DOJ have people at the hearings, and they're working with staff. So right. they well, know everything on Hopefully they're doing their own jobs too, <laughs> Charlotte. Um, because that is like, you know, one of the, the unspoken things, obviously during the hearing, they're not going to talk about it, but is the DOJ. Well, Garland said something publicly, so that's lovely. You know, nobody's above the law. Very, in, in my view, very anodyne thing to say, because what else are you going to say? Uh, like, he's not going to come out and say, you know, well, Donald might be above the law. Right. But that doesn't mean necessarily that he's going to have the, the intestinal fortitude to go ahead. But that aside, Charlotte, I'd, I'd love to know what you think about uh, tonight specifically, because it did. Again, one of the things that's fascinating about these hearings is that that individually they have not just different subject matter, but very different tones. It's it's kind of amazing to me. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've done a couple of these uh, broadcasts that I've been part of with you, Mary, and, you know, the criticism, not criticism, but the the concern that I've had every time is that it felt like, yes, these are compelling moments, but is this going to move the needle? Is this going to resonate with the public in a way that it's effective in the general election? That's been my main concern. Mm-hmm. And none of the hearings so far, as compelling as they've been to watch, felt like they were going to move the needle that much, just to be honest with you. Tonight felt different. Tonight felt very different. Um, tonight felt scary. As mm-hmm. It felt frightening. Yeah. Uh, it felt like, I, I don't know, it was just the opposite of the, you know, bullshit political circus shtick that we've seen so often. It was so, it was very real. It was very visceral. And it feels as though this is going to resonate with the American public in a way that the previous hearings did not. Yeah. Um, I, that is, that is such a good point because it, it was, so specific, you know, focusing, laser focusing on what may go down in history as the most crucial 187 minutes uh, in the White House, potentially in this country, was not just compelling, Waj, but convincing. And I'm not talking about, to, uh, like, we, you know, we don't need to be convinced of anything except that Mara Garland is going to do his job. Um, but I think Charlotte's absolutely right. This re- this is going to resonate with people who aren't as tapped in or who aren't as convinced. 
Yeah, I agree. I think they've done an excellent job. Uh, I think we laugh at the because we're so deeply entwined into this. We don't realize that the average Jose or Jane does not follow this. What they follow is repetition. Something has to be repeated ad nauseum again and again and again, and it creates an emotion and it creates characters. It creates a narrative that sticks in their brain that when they go to the poll, they go, that Hillary Clinton, I don't know. I don't tr- She's corrupt. Didn't she do the emails, the Benghazi? Didn't that Comey come out? which was part and parcel of the plan for a year leading up to the 2016 election, very deliberately, as we know, Steve Bannon, Republicans, deliberately put out this message, both through mainstream sources with the book, Clinton Cash, and then Kevin McCarthy, who, again, exquisite failure of Kevin McCarthy. I just love the fact that he's getting flamed, his incompetence. Just, it's it's glorious. The more that man is humiliated, (laughs) the better. Uh, the fact that in 2015, he openly admitted we only did Benghazi to hurt Clinton's presidential chances. Now, taking that strategy, what we've discussed on, on strategy sessions, your other show, Mary, is this narrative that Democrats can create right now to attack Republicans. And I think the overarching narrative is that they are coming after your freedom. They do not care about democracy. They are an extremist threat, a counter-majoritarian threat. And you saw Adam Kissinger get there towards the end. He said there's an elephant in the room. And the elephant in the room that he was talking about was his fellow GOP colleagues, who are now all part and parcel of the big lie. And today was the same day where 96% of his colleagues in the House in 2022 said, nah, we're going to vote against the right to contraceptives. Uh, And this is a few days after uh, marriage equality. And this is on the heels of uh, now, not just uh, going against abortion, but I don't know if you guys have been following it, more and more Republicans are doubling down on zero exceptions to rape and incest, right? So you got these winning issues on climate change, gun control, contraceptives, marriage equality. And for us, it's the big elephant in the room is the ongoing coup attempt. It has not stopped. Norm uh, mentioned, and I hope people are paying attention, we've mentioned this on your show before, the Supreme Court case that's, uh, that they decided to hear more v. Harper is going to decide whether or not the coup attempt, the bullshit legal theory, the legal theory in search of a coup, the coup in search of a legal theory, will be given the green stamp, uh, the the go signal by the six extremists on the, on the Supreme Court. So, yes, there's some electoral, electoral reform uh, happening this week. Awesome. But it still remains to be seen. And so if, if in that narrative that this is not your dad's GOP, this is not your granddaddy's GOP, this is a radicalized, weaponized force that is so unhinged that they decided to take over the Capitol and they still have allegiance to the selfish vulgarian Donald Trump, who from the evidence seems utterly complicit in this premeditated attack on our democracy. And not only that, they're coming after women, they're coming, don't say gay, they're banning books. Uh, Oh, and they're coming after contraceptives. We talk about the midterms, and if you look at the polls just from the last two weeks. Sounds like a Saturday night in Kentucky, Wodge. Yeah, if, if, if you look at the polls just from the last two weeks, people are paying attention. The midterms have finally gone competitive, and enough people are like, holy shit. There's something here. And so never underestimate the power of a narrative that is simple to digest and is repeated. And and to to cinch it off with tonight, you saw the timeline, you saw the chronology, you saw the video, you saw narrators who were conservatives who echoed and affirmed that Donald Trump was utterly complicit. You saw shocking footage. And I think that footage, we become numb to it. But each time we see it, even when it's outtakes, it's like, holy shit. And especially that that chilling <coughs> photo. I mean, we laugh about Holly. There were a lot of funny things there. But the one that really stuck out 
was that very chilling phone call from the VP's security detail to his family. Like they yeah. thought they were going to die. They, they were, yeah. And, yes. and you know, Tucker, Tucker said, oh, they weren't violent. That was the Fox News false flag bullshit. They were violent. They came with violent intent. People saw that they weren't, uh, you know, ordinary citizens engaged in legitimate protests. That's what the RNC said. So I think they're very successful. And I'm really happy that there's, as Adam said, there should be no statute of limitations on this. Like, no, you got till January. I want you to go up until January and literally do these hearings nonstop. And I think it's going to be a win for democracy and the Democrats. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> Where's the popcorn? You, you, you got to stop giving TED Talks. You're just talking. I just filibuster. You're well, not filibustering. Yeah. No, listen, I think one of the most important things is what you just said. These hearings need to be connected directly to what the Republican Party is because they are emboldened. Make no mistake about it. The 18 months of inaction, and I'm not faulting the committee. I get it. It's complica complicated, but I'm mostly faulting Republicans who, you know, were terrified, thought they were going to die. I'm sure many of them were calling their families saying, I don't know if I'm going to make it home tonight. And yet here we are, they're all going to vote for Donald if he runs again. So, um, but that's 18 months in which not just the Republican party has become emboldened, but Donald supporters have become emboldened. More people have been infected with the laws and, you know, we need to connect what happened in January 6th before and after with the power grab that is going on right now. I said it earlier, uh, they are going after the right to privacy and they are playing for keeps. It seems like this committee is doing that too. One of my favorite things is that two, the two people who seem to have no fucks left to give are not pulling any punches and are using the kind of language that is going to break through are Adam Kinziger and Liz Cheney. Oh, and Donald Trump. Don't forget Donald Trump. Remember, yesterday is a hard word for him to use. That was a very that was very eloquent. <laughs> and he, he it just went to Robin Voss. He's still trying to overturn yes. the results of the election. That hasn't ended. One thing following up on what Waj said, I'd love to see the committee bring in the Secret Service agents who called their families and said yeah. we're going to die and have them talk about the other Secret Why? Service agents that they knew we're conspiring to get them killed along with Mike Pence. We may not need the texts that were deleted if we can get some of these honest Secret Service agents to talk about their traitorous uh, brethren. You know, but Norm, you know, hang on a second, Brian, because I, I just want to make this point really quickly. That was one of the most chilling things, though. They had yeah. to have their voices disguised, not yeah. because, as in the case with Cassidy Hutchinson or... Uh, I'm sorry, I don't remember her name. The woman who testified, Sarah Matthews. Sarah Matthews. Thank you, Sarah. I was going to say Sarah Marshall, but that's a different person. <laughs> um, you know, there, th these two women have to worry about the maggots, right? These secret service people who had to have their voices <laughs> altered and couldn't be seen on camera. I think they have to. They're worrying about their own freaking colleagues. <laughs> it's just well, they might still be on the job life. too, and and that may be the only condition by which they were allowed to speak. I didn't get that, that impression. To be yeah. perfectly honest with you, yeah. I think I think it was explicitly said that was it? Uh, I, I, I think I so. Anyway, yeah. so. well, Mary, can I say Dan Bongino, who for those of you who don't know and follow the right wing, unfortunately, one of the leading podcasters, right? 
he was a 12-year Secret Service member. And so this is a very deeply tied incestuous community. So yeah. exactly what you're saying, the reason why they're worried is False because... False claim he protected Hillary Clinton. There you go. That's yeah. well... Hmm. It's incredible. <clears throat> so listen, there's so much more that needs to be oh. uncovered. We talked about it briefly about, you know, the Fox News is blasting on every single army base in the world and and uh, the Secret Service is completely compromised and on and on and on. Uh, so it's really late. The hearing went very long. I I, Brian you, has one more thing to say. No, I just want to say thank you. Uh, because <laughs> oh, that you can say that's yeah. Cool. <laughs> look, it, uh, all kidding aside, for those of us who got the death threats, for those of us who were in that White House, for those of us who crushed, I mean, there were 13 times when I asked him when he would admit that he lost. Some of us were attacked by other members of the press. Uh, those that are still in, in that press room are still suffering from PTSD. And to see this brought out and you doing this, uh, especially, I think is. It not only important, uh, but it, I mean, it's historic. So thank you. Well, listen, as a, as a fellow sufferer of complex PTSD, it, it is important that we, that we don't look away. You know, one of the reasons this country is in the mess it is, is because we've never looked in the mirror, white people talking to you. Um, so I'm Arab. <laughs> I wasn't talking to you. Yeah. <laughs> Um, wow. you know, so this is an opportunity to do that in real time. Why, why are we where we are and to look away from the violence when we have the victims of it sitting in that room would be an incredible disservice. Uh, and we don't, we, we don't, we can't afford that kind of, uh, cowardice that let's leave that to the republicans and donald right so i i consider this um i'm grateful for this opportunity uh to have incredible people like you to witness this with me i couldn't do it alone to help me understand it i learn so much from you every single time uh we talk uh, so we will keep doing this um, and you're always welcome to come to the strategy sessions on Tuesdays where we're talking about the midterms, which, and I know this has become a truism, but it's really true. These are the most important elections of our lifetime. We cannot lose in 2022 because as, as somebody pointed out, I think it was Waj, in, if we lose in 2022, these hearings go away forever in January, 2023. So, uh, Let's leave, unless somebody has anything else they want to add. Um, Charlotte? I just got to say, I'm, I am a little confused on something that just came to mind. I, I thought Josh Hawley is against aborting. <laughs> That's the best line of the night. <laughs> Thank you, Charlotte. I'm just Wait, this is a microphone. It's a tough one. No remember your, remember no your waitresses. I'm here There's all week. There's literally so nothing else to add. So on that note. It's going to be note, super awkward uh, if he runs for president. <laughs> ain't it just? George uh, Hodge, Charlie Clymer, Norm Ornstein, Waja Ali, Brian Karam, Jen Taub, Adam Parkamenko, Kathy Griffin, John Fugelsang, Navid Jamali, Dino Badala. Thank you all so much. I appreciate you more than I can possibly say. Please stay safe, and I will see you soon. 
Thank you, Mary. Well, that was a night, wasn't it? Um, between the interview with Malcolm Nance and my extraordinary panel watching together that extraordinary hearing, I am so grateful to all of you as well that you were here with us. I'm grateful for your comments, uh, for your time. I know it's late. It's been a really long one. I think we're, we're on our... God, it's almost four hours and 20 minutes. So I'm going to keep it short. But as I mentioned, we're every anytime there's a hearing, we're going to keep doing this. Uh, the next uh, show up Tuesday, 12 o'clock p.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific is the strategy session with another great panel. Uh, some of our recurring nerd Avengers will be there. And then, of course, next Thursday, our, our regular show, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Uh, that's at youtube.com slash Politicon. Please follow Politicon, like the episodes, ring the bell so you're sure to get notified any anytime that bell, uh, anytime a new video drops. Um, and I'm making a bunch of short videos, so keep, keep up with those as well. Um, all right, let's do this. Let's keep uh, trying to save democracy. Uh, thank you all so much. Have a wonderful weekend, and in the meantime, stay safe and be kind. <laughs>